This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. Though meditation is the primary focus, the bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Hey, welcome to Den Talks. This is Tal, and today we have Rosie Acosta. She's a yoga meditation teacher and writer here in Los Angeles. She also has a top-rated health podcast called Radically Loved with over a million downloads. You should absolutely check it out. She's an East LA native, and yoga gave her the strength to see another road for herself, first getting in trouble and going to jail. And we really dive into what it's like to grow up in a darker environment, one where you're taught not to have any hope, to just accept that life is hard, one where you go to sleep at night hearing gunshots and people being beaten. It really took a toll on her, and she started having panic attacks by the time she was 13. She talks about the idea that we all have potential, what that means, and how you can start to believe in it. We talk about faith versus belief and choice. These are all factors that no matter where you are in society, you have access to them. Changing your pattern of thought in just the smallest way can change your entire life forever. With that, her personal practice at the end of the episode is a five to 10 minute meditation on shifting your perspective. And if you're in the LA area, you have a chance to experience her magic in person on Friday, November 16th in Studio City, where she'll be conducting a workshop on exactly what we were just chatting about, shifting your perspective. Rosie, I'm so happy to have you here. We've done so much together without actually ever like having a long, long conversation. I know. So I'm so excited to like just dive in. Thank you for having me. No, of course. One of the things I really want to talk about is... I mean, you're and you know you're from Los Angeles, yes. East LA, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And talk about your childhood a little bit because it wasn't exactly the easiest. Oh no, it sucked. So <laughs> to dive in a little more, like, so I basically grew up. It's funny because I just saw my dad yesterday, and I was trying to remember. Um, I I work with this nonprofit called Lunch on Me, where they feed. We love know? Lorea. Yes. Oh my goodness, she's amazing, and so. Um, She's by the, the two times I've gone down there, um, where I actually was like, where I grew up was a little apartment, like not that far from there. And the last time I was there, I was trying to drive and and figure it out. And I couldn't remember the streets. And my dad just told me like where it was. And now of course it's the arts district and there's all these like, yeah, no, there's all these like art lofts and everything, you know? And I, I couldn't, I don't even know if that little apartment complex is standing anymore, but, um, yeah. So I, by the way, lunch on me is at Skid Row, just so people get more sense of what, you know, Rosie's talking about. Yes. Um, and if you don't, if you're not familiar with this foundation, have you had her on? She's so incredible. And she's just feeding the homeless with these organic meals and she's just a beautiful soul. And she's like, uh, she's, like going to be Mother Teresa. Yeah. She's incredible. Okay. So I basically grew up in in the early nineties during, it was a very sort of tumultuous time. There was a lot of gang violence. There was a lot of, um, just chaos happening. It was, it was during like the LA riots time. So we lived in an area where kind of like, if you went down the street to the right, it was, a little bit more residential and a little bit more like calmer. And then if you went to the left, it was like just bad. Like you're headed towards downtown. Like it's just bad. People are doing drugs on the street and it's just like 
not good. And so I basically, both my parents are immigrants. So my mom's from Spain, my dad's uh, from Mexico, and they met and they got pregnant with my older sister. And then they had me three years later. And so he, my dad actually decided to bring his family up from Mexico. And so we had like eight or nine people living in a one bedroom apartment. Oh my God. And it was just, and for me, it's like a child girl. I didn't you know, know any difference. difference. Right. I didn't know that it was like, you know, I slept wherever I slept. You was know there what I mean? something beautiful about it too? Like, I mean, it was, it was definitely nice to always have people around, especially your family. Um, yeah, it was, it was lovely. Like I always had, and, and we lived in kind of, um, a, a little, um, I wouldn't know what you call it, like a little cul-de-sac apartment complex where they were kind of all together, but they were all individual. Uh-huh. I wouldn't even know how to like explain the setup, but basically everybody knew everyone and there was tons of kids running around. And and the only thing that we ever had to be careful of was not being out once it was past, you know, sun going, uh, sunset because it was dangerous. You know, there was, and there was like a couple of people associated with gangs around that lived around us. So we just kind of knew not to hang out with certain kids, but it's when you're a kid, you don't know. It's like, Oh, hang out with this person, but don't go to this person's house, you right. know? And that almost makes me want to go more. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we didn't know any better. And, um, yeah. So anyway, that was, that was kind of the, the beginnings of how I, I grew up, you know, in, in this type of not, uh, great environment, although loving. And I always say that I was in a very loving environment, but you know, you're, you're hearing gunshots in the middle of the night. You're hearing people getting beaten in the middle of the night. You're hearing, um, women getting abused by their husbands. Like it was just kind of like one of these. So now back to your, like, you didn't know any different because oh, yeah. you were a kid. So when you hear these sounds and you're growing up with it, does it become background noise or no, is it I mean, like every time you actually feel it and process it? Oh no, it was definitely jarring. Uh, in fact, I, I almost felt like an anomaly because I felt something every time because I was so um, anxious about it because it would make me really nervous. And I, I don't know that the people I was with, like being around my family, everybody was so numb to it that I didn't see really people react. But for me, it was so scary because, you know, you're hearing like blood curdling screams in the middle of the night. And it's just like, you know, here I am four or five, six, seven years old, like just not sleeping because I was just afraid, you know, and, you know, I was also raised in a Catholic household. So that was kind of its own little dynamic. My grandmother would always host these, um, my grandmother's Peruvian, my dad's mother. And so she would always host these like prayer circles for, um, you know, the little grandmas in the area to come and pray, you know, for, you know, the environment or for their own kids. And so I was around these little prayer circles, um, you know, twice a week with these women in a circle crying because somebody's child died or somebody's yeah. grandkid got put into jail or, you know, somebody is in the hospital because they got into a fight, you know, or somebody lost their job. So it was just this weird, like chaotic, but like kind of beautiful environment. There was love and support. Yeah, there was definitely that. Um, did you ever get involved? Like, so as you grew up, 
how hard was it for you to stay away from that? Because I oh. would think as a certain point, it's almost impossible. Yeah, no, I didn't stay away from well, I mean, it. I that makes more sense. Yeah, no, I didn't. I think it was about when I was a teenager, I started to suffer from, and I talk about this um, a lot, but I started to suffer from debilitating panic attacks um, and depression and insomnia. Like I was just having a really hard time. I was also smoking a lot of pot, you know, <laughs> to try and play. Which wasn't helping. Right. Um, it, it was just, it started kind of all of these things from my childhood started to really manifest themselves. My parents ended up splitting up and, um, I, my older sister and I were living with my mother and I was just having a really hard time in school. Like I couldn't concentrate. And I, I was having these really sort of visceral moments of just, wanting to just be in a corner. Like I was in fear of everything. I was scared of everything. I didn't want to leave uh, my house. And like my mom didn't understand what was happening. She like forced me to go to school. And then when I was at school, like I wouldn't leave school because I was afraid to like go home. And um, during this time, my two, uh, my two best friends from elementary school, they died. Um, they got killed during the El Nino storm. I don't know if you remember yeah. that. Um, Do you, did they pass away before you were having this patent or during? They were like, have like, it happened all during like the same time. So I feel like that event really, compounded it. yeah, it made it, made it that much more intense. Um, and so I remember just like, there was this time of just really dark, like, I didn't really know what life was about and why people were alive and like why this place was terrible. You know what I mean? So that's what I was about to ask you. So when you say it's dark, so for you, were you not, you just weren't understanding the purpose of what you were doing there. Yeah. I didn't know. I'm like, what is the purpose of being alive? Like there's nothing. And, and being surrounded by people like family members that are like, Oh, life is really hard. You just have to get used to it. This is just the way the world is. During that time, my mom was, actually having a self-development phase. She was working at the children's hospital in Hollywood and she happened to get a pamphlet from the self-realization center. And she came home with these little pamphlets and she's like, Oh, you should come with me because somebody said that, um, you know, their daughter was having really bad, um, anxiety or really, really, um, bad stress. And she said she went here and it really helped. And so I ended up just going with her, you know, she was having her own Right. Download. How lucky. It's amazing. I ended up going and I, we, we went to that center. Have you ever been? Yes. But the, I mean, this is amazing that your mom randomly, I'm still like stuck on the yeah. that like there was like divine intervention yeah. here. Yeah. And so I ended up going and the minute I went in, I thought it was so weird, right? Because people are weird. Yoga people are weird. I can say that I'm a yogi. <laughs> um, they're weird, you know? And so I walked in and I sit down and people are like, chanting and like they're doing all these things and I'm just like looking at and how are you like, again I was like 16 yeah, I, I was like 15 point, 16 like your yeah eyes. I'm like yeah. this is whatever and then like my mom's like trying to like follow along and I'm just like okay I'm like this is weird like get out you know like mom get out this is a cult you know um but there was somebody that was leading the lecture and they said something they were talking about something and then said something about how we're responsible for our own happiness and how we need to be able to recognize all the gifts in life and how beautiful life is and all these things that I was just kind of like, I don't know about that. You know, there was something, something that was ringing true in my soul. It got you thinking. Yeah. It got me like, oh, maybe there is another way. Is there another way? Do these people really believe what she's saying? Because what if it is true? You know, I've always been like a super detective. 
And so I have, I've always been like super detective because that, that was just kind of, but that helps you when you're going on an inward journey Yeah, then you're willing to ask the questions. Yeah. And, um, that, that's really what began to kind of put me on, on the path of, of my, my spiritual journey. So basically someone just saying the words of you have a choice. Yeah. To be happy or not to be happy is what allowed you to start changing your perspective. Yeah, because nobody had ever said that to me before. See, that's amazing. So because I strongly believe that, but yeah. I talking to someone who I know came from a place with less opportunity, yeah, right off the bat, it's amazing to know that still just that little nugget yeah. can actually be life-changing. Yeah, because we didn't we didn't have in fact this is another thing that I've talked about in the past. In fact, it was discouraged to believe that you can do better because then if I did better, this is like coming from my family. If you did better, that meant you were better than us. That would mean that you would see how bad I am. That means you don't love me. So, right. you, so you wanting to do better, you wanting to be better. Means you don't like who we are. Right. We're not good enough. Yeah. This isn't good enough. Exactly. Meaning, oh, you don't like yourself because you're part of us. But it's funny because it's not always like a better, right? Do you know what I mean? It's not like, yeah. oh, this is awful. I want better. But maybe it is. I mean, you actually lived it. Yeah. You're saying, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. But I mean, it also is just like, no, I, I want to choose to feel and think a different way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you're telling me I'm supposed to feel and think this way and it's making me have panic attacks and feel miserable. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because the reason I really do want to chat about this, because I feel like you know, we talk a lot about this, you know, we did have Lorea on and mm -hmm. we spoke a lot about there too, like some people just never getting the opportunity when your situation is one where you're never given any version of help or the ounce to show how smart you are, or, yeah. you know, you actually have no clue. Like, so how, what are the keys? It's amazing that you went to this one yoga class or discussion more. Yeah. Um, it was like a lecture, like lecture. a yogic philosophy lecture. Lecture. Yeah. And it gave you a huge gift. Yeah. So what is it that people can do that feels stuck? Whatever it is, may it be the same as you, like your childhood, your situation mm -hmm. where you live, or maybe it's something else, but what do you think you can do to actually start changing that perspective? I think that there's just a lack of belief in your own ability. I think that one of the things is like every single, I really do believe that every single person has potential. I really do believe that in my, in my, DNA. I've seen it. I've lived with people. Like I've experienced it. And so I know that every single human has the potential, but it's, it's what we talked about when we had our pot, you know, when I was interviewing you, it's like people need to be willing to take action. That's, that's the missing link is that people don't know that they it's, I akin it to the story of, you know, the elephant doesn't know it, it can break free from the chains. Right, so, right. So it doesn't try. So it doesn't try. Even though it can just, it's being held down by like a small little pin. They could just not even make with that much force, just, just escape or, or move, move out of their uh, incarceration. What know? surprised you about yourself once you figured out you had the choice to to have your own happiness or your choice to pursue your own life or the choice, or when you start looking at yourself as mm -hmm. I might have potential to do this, what's the pride? Like, were there any things like, I didn't realize that about myself? Oh yeah. So many, because I just, I had no idea that I was okay. I, I would hear it from teachers at school or people that would say, Oh, you have so much potential. 
And it's like, I just didn't get what that meant. I didn't know that it could actually do something for me. I, I didn't know that I was actually able to, you know, get good grades in school, you know, that those types of things that I always really enjoyed reading. And, um, again, this was another thing that like my friends would make fun of me because I would read and they're like, Oh, you're a nerd, you know? And it's just like, okay, whatever. Um, and the other thing is that my sister, I have an older sister, she's three years older than I am. And we look totally different. You know, um, she was always the more, the studious one, you know, and I was always the one that's like, Oh, you know, we'll see where you end up, you know, because you're like not the smart one. Right. And so my goal was always to be smart. Like I always wanted to be the smart one. I always wanted to read. I always wanted to like get good grades, but I couldn't get too good of a grades because then people were going to think that I was trying to be better than them. So I had to kind of toe this line and I knew that I was doing that. And so I think that the surprising thing for me was when I was actually able to fully step into that light or that power that I was actually able to see the fruits of that. It's so interesting because you've said it now in a couple different ways of, I can't take that away from them. Like yeah. she's the smart one. I can't take that away. I can't do better because they'll feel like I don't like yes. them. Is that part of the culture or is that self-imposed? I know it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a, a pretty, you know, like bold statement for me to say that it's a cultural thing, but I can say that. Yeah. I think it's definitely a cultural thing. I, I think it's definitely a cultural thing because I didn't see it just with myself. I see it with, you know, the, the, the Latin community you know, and not just the Latin community, sometimes the African-American community, you know, because we grew up so closely together, just like in the area, um, you know, East Los Angeles, Compton, Inglewood, like in Bell Gardens, like in that whole area where I, where I grew up, like it, I saw it, you know, it's like, you could only achieve so much. And it was, it was very sort of, it, it was way more conducive to, you know, get by and stay where you are and support your family, support your community, as opposed to, oh, you need to break away from, from this place and these people, because you'll just continue to repeat the cycle. And so how, how can you get people to have that paradigm shift? Like how, I mean, it's just, that's so interesting. It's like, how do you balance or go against the guilt of feeling like you don't want to hurt those who are supporting you. They're the only yeah. ones around you right now, even if you in despair and balance that with believing in yourself. Like yeah. how, what, what is the rest, rationalization in your head or the belief? Like, how do you I mean, square those? How that, do you square those? I mean, it's hard because sometimes you don't want to hurt the people that you love. Right. And I think that that just knowing that is, it's not an easy, and I, I still am in it now. I mean, I have family members, very close family members that are in that same, you would think like, Oh, it's, 2018. Like that's not how it's not true. There are still like my little cousins, there are still people that are in that exact position. That's like, you can make a choice. You're either going to go to jail for the rest of your life and leave your, you know, your child as going to be part of the system, or you can, you can figure shit out, you know? And, and I feel like it is a choice to have to make to to feel the guilt sometimes. And I think that it's okay. It's okay to make the not popular choice and it's okay to not be liked sometimes in, even when that is your own family. Um, 
that it's you, you're doing it for the greater good just because you're you're making the unpopular choice doesn't mean you're not loved. How did you when was your shift then? Like so you got a little dose of this yogic culture. Yes. It started making you look at life a little differently. Yeah. So how do you when how did you go from Basically, and I know it sounded like as a teenager, you got way more involved with streets, drugs, oh, yeah. all of that stuff, right? Yeah, Flirted with jail a little bit, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what was the turn for you? Because I think, now look at you, you're this stunning premier meditation, <laughs> yoga teacher, writer. It's like, how do you go from that to this? I think I just, I think I just believed that um, in order for me to live my life I would just be supported you know that I would just I really you know that I I talk about this too the difference between belief and faith like I feel like in that moment I had full faith you know because you can believe in something and then the next minute you're not believing in it because it's proved wrong or whatever but faith is just like I'm gonna be okay yeah it's it's having a sense of bewilderment it's being able to just be in in this state of expansiveness where it's like you know what i'm i'm going to just i know that things are going to work out i i got to this point where it was like i i didn't have a desire to be alive i mean that that's really what what the pivotal moment was a pretty low moment yeah <laughs> and and you know i was like 18 19 and i was like i just don't understand what the purpose is you know like i don't i don't see what the reason for living. Like, I just don't see it. I don't feel it. It was really clear to you that this was not your life. Right. So it's like, you were like on the tracks of something that just wasn't yours to begin with. Right. And it, at that point you're like, you didn't know how to get off of that. Yeah. Because so it it's just like, like, yeah, you're in this predisposed, um, scenario. You know, I, I, I knew that I, I didn't want to become a victim of the predisposition of my socioeconomic standpoint. Like I just knew, I just, I knew, I knew it from when I was a child, like I'm living this life. It was almost like I was, I was acting as if like I was acting as if I, I was living this life and this is what it was. But internally I'm like, no, this doesn't feel right. This isn't me. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And the minute that I made that shift when that, that low moment where I was like, okay, either I'm going to just, you know, like, decide to, to not live or I'm going to live. And this is the way that I'm going to live my life. And I did it and I'm still doing it, you know, but when, when I was able to finally make that shift, everything changed. And I'm not kidding. Like from that, that moment, that night to the next morning, everything was different. Did it feel different? Everything felt different tall. Like I opened my eyes and the colors everywhere were different. It was just like, and I know this sounds a bit woo, you know, no, but I, it was, it. it was everything changed. Clicked into you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. That person is a part of my past now. That me is still part of me, Absolutely. but, but we don't, she's, she, she can like chill now. You're driving. Now. Yeah. And yeah. And that was it. And, and ever since that moment, I was able to, you know, in a sense, not that I didn't care about my family or the people I grew up with, but I just, I chose to, to do the things that I wanted to do the way I wanted to do them. And people were either going to get on board or not. You know? And did they? Some did, some didn't. So, some are still trying to figure it out. You know? Really? So some people still have trouble with 
where you've yeah they just take it as a personal affair. yeah they take it they take it as you know it's like who do I think I am type of thing you know and and that's okay and and I love them and and I think that that's okay you know that that says more about them than it does about me absolutely you know do you get triggered by it at all or no I used to I don't anymore I've I've gone I spent thousands of dollars on therapy <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure it did because you just were like it, yeah right and yeah. like you said, it's their issue, not yours. It's theirs. And and I and look, I love my people. I love my family. I love the the I wouldn't change the way I was raised or the way I grew up for anything in the world. I because I mean that you can't, number one. Right. But I just wouldn't. I feel like it taught me so much and it it really helped shape the person that I am. And and I always felt like I knew there was something else. How much of your practice of any version of spiritual practice, and by that was it yoga or just shift of belief, were you carrying through this part, like when you were younger? Like, it's just, you know, where I'm trying to get to. I feel like there's a conversation of having, of like the privileged nature of how like yoga feels like it's a privilege. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Spirituality mm-hmm. in some ways feels like it's a privilege, yeah. which I always find asinine because religion is a version of spirituality. And yeah. that is of all cultures, of all socioeconomic. Sure. So, so it's like, how can we break those barriers and somehow... Well, look, I mean... The, you'll know. You're, yeah, I, can't, the, I don't know how the, to answer that at the all. The truth of the matter is, like, if you're living on the streets, you're not going to have a spiritual practice or like you're not going to have... Not that you don't have a spiritual practice. Let me rephrase. If you're living on the street, you're not concerned about your spiritual well-being. You're concerned about where your next meal is going to come. So that's first and foremost. Like people that are in that, living in in that uh, survival, um, those people are, it's just, the, the privilege is us us, you and I being able to have these pursuits because we are in a position where we can actually help people in in the position that we're in to create a better world and to support people that are going to help people on the street you know to to create a a better life or to find shelter Um, but the truth is that you know we can we can continue to try to to bridge that gap but people people can only step into this place when they feel secure and when they have food in their system, I get it. you know, because, you know, uh, I wrote this article for a mantra magazine a couple of years ago that was, um, you know, my dad was having, um, hypertension and stuff. And like, I was telling him, I'm like, Oh, let's do a meditation. And he's like, Oh, meditation's for rich people. And I'm that, just and that's, like, that's what I mean. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no. Um, you know, I, I think that, this is a, a common misconception because there's two two factors here at play. Number one is it's a mental block that you think that you have this belief that is not true because anybody can meditate. It's free. It's free. You can do it anywhere. In fact, we can do it right right here in your apartment. You know. Um, and the second thing is, you know. W- do you feel safe in your environment and do you know where your next meal is coming from? If you know those two things are yes, then you you can meditate and you can actually do something that's going to benefit your health and your life. And it's actually going to create something of substance and it you don't have to be rich. And again, it's like, 
are you staying financially rich? Are you staying rich in your experience or in your life? And like, we went into this deep philosophical and my dad loves philosophy. And so he goes in, like we both go in it. (laughs) Um, and we can go there. And, and I was able to change his perspective. And so now like, you know, three or four years later, like he, he has a totally different perspective, not only with what I do, you know, which I'm sure is nice by the way. Yeah. And, um, just with, with his own relatability to, to this practice, but he sees it even with his friends, you know, he talks to his friends about what his daughter does. They don't understand. And they're like, oh, you know, well, she, you know, she lives in Hollywood, you know, with rich people. And it's just like, oh my God, dad, you're so crazy. Like, um, it's this thing, this like mental thing that, oh, because I like to get my food from whole food, whole foods, or I like organic, like avocados, you know what I mean? It, It changes this whole thing of like, oh, this is, only a lifestyle that that wealthy people can afford and I'm like no it's choices you know you decide to spend x amount of dollars on Starbucks every day and you know you drink occasionally and you allocate your money doing these types of activities where you can shift your choices and make other choices like it, the, it's the same thing we have the same opportunity and it always it keeps like it keeps going back to choice yeah it goes back and that's one thing we all do have i guess um even it's i guess what you're saying which i find um which i think is so interesting even in certain circumstances you still have choice it just might be different on how you start moving it forward sure you still have choice how do you i want to go back to something you said earlier which i keep hanging on you talking about potential like all of a sudden you felt like i have potential Mm -hmm. i potential you said i heard it so much like i actually heard it from my teachers i heard it from places but i didn't understand what it meant what did you think the difference is or of making have helping someone understand that they truly have potential versus just saying you have potential i think that there has to be an opportunity for the person to have the experience of what potential means because I didn't understand what it meant. Like, Oh, you have so much potential. It's like, I have so much potential to do good in school. I have so much potential to become somebody of relevance in this society. So when did it sink in for you? Like, when did you understand it? I think probably after I got in trouble with law when I was a teenager, because it was either I was going to, adhere to my probation parameters or I was going to go to jail. Right. So, you know, I remember the judge even saying to me, like, you have a lot of potential. Look at what you were able to do because I was on probation for two years because the first year, and I was really lucky because the first year I was like, whatever, I don't care about this stuff. Cause I was surrounded by people that were on probate. You know, right. it was just kind of like the cares? everyday thing. Yeah. And I'm a teenager and they had all these weird curfews and I had to do like a hundred <laughs> hours of community service. It was just kind of like an, a really big hindrance in my social life as a teenager. Um, and so I, I didn't do well, but after the second year, it was like, okay, she gave me another opportunity. And, um, I same judge, same judge. Yeah. And look, I have my own feelings about the social justice system and how it's built. And there are a lot of people that the system is designed for them to not get out of it. And I will tell you right now, had my mother not had the funds to get me my own attorney, 
which by the way, single mom working at a hospital, like her, she went into debt paying off this whole like two year extravaganza. By the way, there was a newborn. My little sister was born right then. So there was a newborn at home. My older sister was going to college. Like I was there causing all these problems and my poor mother. Right. So, um, yeah, the judge, basically I was able to turn it around and get good grades and completed all of my like therapy and anger management and all the (laughs) stuff that they had assigned me. And she was like, look, you have the opportunity to be really great. Like, don't, don't waste it, you know? And of course I was like, whatever, like, fuck you, you know, like you guys suck, you know, for like getting me into this mess. But, um, you know, it's, it's stood in there, you know, and it really stood in there. And a lot of my teachers at that time saw the night and day difference, you know, and they're like, oh, well, maybe a little fear is, is all you needed to kind of put your, your shit into gear. And, and yeah, I mean, that, that's what it took. And, and I was able to see, oh, okay, I can actually get good grades and actually enjoy school. And, you know, maybe I want to go to college and maybe I do want to do something great. And, and that was it. It was just an idea. And my, my, to have a, a, a tactile experience of something that I did, like seeing that I completed a hundred hours of community service, seeing that I was getting like A's and B's in school. And I was reading all of these books and, you know, I was like, Oh, the results. Yeah. I was seeing the results. And I think that that's what it takes, you know, to your, your question when, you know, for people that you can't just say, Oh, you have a lot of potential. It's like, yeah, but how, so how should people dig in and find their potential? Well, I don't think that they need to find it. I feel like you have it. I feel like people just need to commit to it. You know, I feel like people just really need to commit, make a commitment to themselves and understand that it's going to take some desire. There's got to be a desire for something. You want to be better. You want to do better. You want to create a better life. Um, You have to have discipline. Like you have to be disciplined enough to do the things that are going to get you from point A to point B. And, you know, you've got to, you've got to have drive, you know, you've got to have that, that thing that you're talking about, like, you're just excited all the time. Like you just have all this like enthusiasm. And I feel like if we tap into a little bit more of that drive, like what would you do in your life if money was of no object, if there was no limitations and you can go anywhere in the world? what would you be doing in this moment? And like, sometimes we have to just start from there. I mean, this is how I work with some of my students. I'm like, money is of no object. You're completely safe. Everybody's taken care of in your life, your parents, your kids, whatever. What would you be doing right now? Well, I love that because we are doing this workshop together in November on November 16th, Yes, which is basically, you know, shifting your shit. So I kind of like, is that a little bit of what you're talking about? Yes. It's like going to the core little nugget of start with something small and how do you see it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really the way to begin to shift. And, and I go into diminishing your inner critic and how to, you know, like ratify all of those old thinking patterns that you have that are stopping you from getting to where you want to go. Because a lot of the time, it's mostly it, everything's in our mind, right? Like all those blocks, they're all made up situations. Amazing. They're all narrative. I mean, if you think about how powerful your mind is, I mean, if you think about like biting into a lemon, like think about biting into a lemon. I mean, you're right now. Start to salivate. Yeah, yeah, you start to salivate. You're creating enzymes in your mouth just with a thought. 
Like, can you imagine shifting your thinking to something that you want to create or something that you want to do? Like, it's that powerful. And it's free. Yes. That's what people don't realize. It's <sighs> free. And it's like anyone can do it, which is what to make it go a little full circle, because I know I have to get you out of here, is that's where I feel like we can shift. And I agree. Like, if you're hungry and you're for a meal, you're not think, thinking about this stuff. But you, anyone can do that. Yeah. Anyone, anyone can have the ability to shift a little thought and realize that the power of your thoughts are huge. Mm-hmm. So strong. Preach. <laughs> it's amazing. So I want to do the four year use, which are four questions. Okay. With, you can do quick takeaways. You can just rattle them off so that people can go home with like all the amazing rosy facts. Oh, goodness. Um, so favorite book. Uh, the Four Agreements. Type of meditation you rely on the most. Uh, I do visualization meditation. I love visualization. I do too. Do you journal or have any other daily practice? Uh, I have a daily yoga and meditation practice and I write every morning for at least 15 minutes a day. Do you write for purpose or write like journal? Just journal, just free thinking. And by the way, purpose, no, period. Period, I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, you're no, just I got free, you. you're free writing. Yeah. I just write. Do you whatever. go back and read it? I do. And then it gives me ideas for things. I love that. Yeah. Um, favorite self-care hack. Um, you know, I, I think, (laughs) oh my God, I, I was doing this thing back when I said that I was doing this thing where I, uh, right at the end of a shower, I do about like 15 to 60 seconds of ice cold shower. Uh, and it's really good. It like helps regenerate your cells and it kind of freaks you out. It puts you in that sort of like shock, shock <laughs> moment. But then when like your day is, if you're curious about what it makes you feel, I'm not going to tell you what it does, but just try it for a week and see if it makes a difference. It's better to do it in the morning, but just try it. Just try it. Just shut of, shut of ice shot cold. cold. Shut of shot cold. cold. I like it. So when you look back at yourself now, like from a kid to now, do you feel like it's two separate people. Do you? No, I'm still the same ghetto fabulous. But I think that's kid. great. I, like, can you talk about that for a second? Because yeah. I feel like a lot of people do feel like a spiritual journey changes oh, you. No. And I think there's always something interesting to say. Of like, no, it kind of just enhances who you are. Yeah, definitely. I think that my spiritual path made me more of who I am and who I've always been. I, I feel like I'm the exact same person, you know, like... I'm the exact same person I was when I was five. Like it's still me now. I mean, I've, I've wised up in a lot of ways, but yeah, I think it's just me. I mean, I've always felt like that and I'm most comfortable being that person. So I wouldn't even know what else to be. Who is that person? You know, she's just, uh, she just loves being alive. You know, she just loves being like, grounded and connected and she loves people she believes in humanity she loves nature she she just loves like the magic of this world that's so beautiful yeah if you could give one piece of life advice to everyone especially with I really I think your journey is amazing because I feel like people get really annoyed hearing people talk like spiritually a lot and I get it. They're like, Oh, it's so easy. But I love, I mean, I'm being honest and I think it's so nice to hear like someone who actually really 
you've made changes in your life and you get every side of this coin. And I think it's kind of amazing that you can actually, you have all this incredible wisdom to share. So if you give one piece of life advice, what should people tuck back there? You know, I, I always say this when, when I teach, um, every, every class, it's always the same thing. I always say, um, always take an opportunity to be grateful for your life. Instead of reacting, choose to reframe negative thinking. And always know that the truest thing and the truest wisdom is in your heart. Oh my, well, that's a lot for us to think about. Thank you. No, I think that's incredible because it's, it's really everything you've been talking about is how to shift your perspective. So thank you mm-hmm. for being here. Nobody leave because she has her personal practice, which is going to be a five to 10 minute meditation on shifting your perspective, everything she's talking about here. And again, she's going to also be at the Den in Studio City, November 16th, with a workshop about shifting your perspective, which mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I love. So, so much Rosie and oh. you are so beautiful and incredible. Oh. And thank you for your time. Thank you. It's so, so nice to be here. And I'm so happy to be a part of this community. And thank you for doing this and for creating this space. Thank you. now it's time for Rosie's personal practice. It's going to be a five to 10 minute meditation on shifting your perspective. This time of year can leave us feeling anxious and disconnected. This is a grounding practice to drop you deeply into your body and connect you to the earth. You may want to use this meditation anytime you feel disconnected or anxious. It's particularly good for post-travel and post-holiday. It's so easy for us to become overwhelmed and ungrounded. This practice is essential. The idea of the air out there is about disconnecting from the chaos and connecting to a deeper, more essential place inside. So think about the electricity in your house. It doesn't work unless it's grounded. So part of this meditation will be breath focus and visualization. Don't worry if you trail off. It's okay. Just come back to the breath. Let's begin. So first, start by finding a comfortable seated position. If you're seated on a chair, see that your back is flush against the backrest. And let's just take a few moments to feel into your body. Take a big deep breath in. Open your mouth and exhale everything out completely. And let's repeat it again two more times. Take a deep breath in. Long, complete exhale. Good. And then one final time. Take a deep breath in. Long, complete exhale. Just begin to relax and tune into just the natural flow of breath. You can take a traditional approach and inhale and exhale out your nose, or you can breathe normally. So as you begin to feel into your body, notice what you're sitting on. Notice where your feet are. 
Notice how you sit, how you're seated. Notice your shoulders. Relax your throat. If your eyes are closed, soften your eyelids. And soften the space between your eyebrows. Even soften the crown of your head. And we'll take a few moments here to just scan our body. Go from the bottom and scan all your senses all the way to the top. Notice any areas of the body that feel tense or notice a part that feels maybe a little bit tender. Just notice. Feel your tongue resting at the back of your lower teeth. And slowly begin to identify your current state. Notice if you're thinking about the past or thinking about the future. Notice if you're thinking about the past or projecting into the future. Notice. And slowly just begin to deepen your awareness on your breath. Let the inhale be deep and energizing. And let the exhale be relaxing. Now feel the base that you're seated on. Energy at your base, awareness at your base. Let your seat feel heavy, your upper body feel supported and light. Begin to imagine like if you're sitting on grass, completely connected to the earth, Shoulders relaxed, the breath is calm, eyes softening, throat relaxing, deep breaths. You begin to connect to your root system. So more and more you feel established in the earth, anchored, stable.
Now you can begin to visualize a place outside as you're seated on the ground, on the grass. Notice where you are. Notice your surroundings. The breeze. Your sense of smell. Notice. And from this place, begin to feel fully alive. What does it feel like in your body to feel fully alive? Notice any sounds. Any lightness. Any heaviness. Begin to turn your attention inward to a place where you seek adventure. Where do you feel connection? In this place, this is where you can feel at home. This is what it feels like to be at home in your body, residing on your breath, refrained from thought, When you're ready, take a few moments. Return back to a place of groundedness. Slowly begin to deepen your breath. And feel free to stay here longer if you like. Or very gently and sweetly, you can lower your chin and blink your eyes open. And come back into the room or to the space. Your meditation is now complete. Ten Talks is produced by Mike Burns, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, and music is by Alex Fetter. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.